God's kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things that we need in life will be added to us. And in Mark 12, 30, Jesus taught us, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. This is the greatest commandment of God is to love him above all other things. So the greatest priority in life for the Christian is not to love his children or his wife or his health or his job or his pleasure or his friends or his money. It is to love his God supremely. Or to put it another way, the highest priority for the Christian is his communion with God. So sometimes we make a particular cause our number one priority. You know, certain Christians have done, they're passionate about some cause. It might be stamping out abortion. Maybe it's promoting racial equality. Maybe it's even something as noble as evangelism, evangelizing the world. And those are good causes, but we can't make that the number one priority of our life because if we do, we're gonna gain neither the cause nor our relationship with God. We won't gain our cause because you need communion with God in order to have the power and the strength to be able to go out and do good works, like promote that cause. And if we make our cause our number one priority, we're gonna give all our energy and time to that and it's gonna sap us from having that rich relationship with God. So let's not make the mistake of putting some cause in our life ahead of communion with God. Since communion with God is the highest priority of a child of God, so I wanna start off 2021 by having all of us think really seriously about how we're doing in this particular area. As I said before, this message is gonna be very simple. I hope it's gonna be extremely practical. But I think it's needed every so often for us just to go back to the basics of what it means to be a Christian and what it is that we're supposed to be doing as Christians. My goal in this sermon is for all of you to make communion with God the highest priority of your life in the coming year and to seek to implement and apply that priority every single day. So how do you know when something is your highest priority? I think if, if something is your highest priority, it's gonna be evident in your life. It's gonna show, people will know it. You're going to pursue that thing more diligently than anything else in your life. You will do it consistently. If communion with God is your highest priority, you won't neglect it. You won't choose other things over it. So instead of resolving this year for our New Year's to go on a diet or to lose weight or to start working out more, those are the things that you, people usually make New Year's resolutions about. I, I hope that you will make a commitment of your life to pursue God every single day during the coming year, to know God, to walk with God, to fellowship with God, to be enriched by the presence of God, to develop your relationship with God. So this morning, I just have two questions. Number one, what is communion with God? Number two, how do we experience communion with God? So let's deal with the first question. What is communion with God? Well, communion with God begins by being in union with God. 
Did you notice that union is part of the word communion? <laughs> you can't have communion with God unless you have experienced union with God. You can't abide in the vine unless you are united to the vine. G or the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30, he said, but by God's doing, you are in Christ Jesus, there's the union, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So our union to God is a work of God. It's by his doing that we are in Christ Jesus. God himself has united us to Christ. And now that we are in Christ, all the other blessings in the spiritual life flow into our lives. To be in union with God is to go from being in Adam to being in Christ. It is to go from being dead in sins to being alive in Christ. Paul put it this way in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, there's that union, he's a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. So when someone is united to Christ, he's born again. That's another way of describing this union. There's a new birth. That person's also justified. He's adopted into the family of God. He's redeemed by the blood of Christ. He's reconciled back to his father. He begins to be sanctified by the Holy Spirit. And one day he will be glorified together in the presence of God. Paul said in Ephesians 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. So this union with you in Christ brings to you every spiritual blessing that there is in the heavenly places. So that's, we have to start there. Unless, you're, unless you have been united to God through faith in Jesus Christ, you can't experience communion with God. You must be at one with him. Secondly, communion with God means that you have fellowship with God. In 1 Corinthians 1, verse 9, Paul said, God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So what has God done? When God called you, what did he call you into? Paul says he called you into fellowship with Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's what he called you to. He called you to fellowship. And that word fellowship means sharing together. So when we have fellowship with Christ, there's a mutual sharing together of the believer with his Lord. The Lord communicates himself to us. He shares himself with us. And the Christian communicates his needs and his longings and his thanks and his praises to the Lord. There's this mutual sharing going on. So the Lord has called you to share your life with Christ and Christ shares his life with you. Another thing that communion with God is all about is it's born out of a relationship with God. It's born out of relationship. Thankfully, we can have a relationship with God. Now, I can't have a relationship with my oak tree in the front yard, <laughs> with my pressure washer, an octopus. You, just, you can't have relationship with those kind of things because they're not persons, right? They don't have any personal attributes. But God is a person. God has personal attributes. He has a will. He loves. 
he hates, he desires, he can be grieved, he yearns. He is a person that we can enter into a relationship with. And because we are persons, we share in personal attributes as well. So communion flows out of relationship. Another thing to learn about communion with God is that it's not the same thing as being engaged in good works. Good works flow out of communion with God, but they are not communion with God. Works that don't flow out of communion with God are dead works because they don't flow from God's life. It's like uh, taking a Christmas ornament and sticking it on a, a dead tree branch. Well, that's not fruit. <laughs> In order to have real fruit, you've got to have a live tree that spontaneously and organically produces that apple or that banana or that orange. So if, to produce real fruit, we've got to be connected to Christ who is our life and his life produces the fruit from us. So it's not the same thing as good works. In fact, Hebrews 6.1 says that one of the elementary teachings is repentance from dead works. So if there are things that you're doing in your life, they can look good to other people, but if, unless those things are the outflow of your relationship to God, they're dead works, and we need to repent of those. We need to have all of our works uh, birthed out of, to, to flow out of this relationship to God. And the last thing I want to say about communion with God is that it's experiential. You actually experience relationship. You experience communion with God. It's not simply contemplating God, although that's part of communion with God. It's not merely the same thing as thinking about the Bible or thinking about God. It's to experience God's presence as you fellowship with him, as he speaks with you and you speak with him and your relationship is enriched and broadened and deepened. So that's how I would answer that first question. What is communion with God? Second question, how do we experience it? How do we have communion with God? Well, ask yourself this question. How do you have communion with anybody, with any person? How do you do that? Well, I think you start simply by spending time with that person. You can't have communion with them unless you're spending time with them. You listen to them. They talk, you listen. You share your thoughts and your feelings with that person. Notice that the word communion is very similar to the word communication. It shares the same root. So communion is rooted in this idea of communicating back and forth with another person. Uh, to have communion with God is to interact with God on a personal level with him. And in order to commune with God, he must speak to you and you must speak to him. There's got to be this rich interaction between the believer and his God. So the question naturally follows is, well, how does God speak to us? If we're going to have communion with God, he has to speak to us. We need to listen to him. How does he do that? Well, there's many ways that God can speak to us. In fact, in that book that we started listening to yesterday, uh, the heavenly man, Brother Yoon, received many different visions and dreams, and the Lord spoke to him in that way. That's one way that God can speak to us. He can speak to us through a word of prophecy. 
He can speak to us through an angelic visitation. He did that in the Bible many times. He can even speak audibly if he desires to do that. But the usual and ordinary way that God speaks to his people is through his word. God has told us all about himself in a book. And God is the central person. He's the hero of this Bible. And when we read that book, the Holy Spirit takes the message and the, the words of that book, and he opens our understanding and shows us something of the glory of God. We get a greater glimpse of Jesus Christ and a greater love for him. Let's look at a few texts this morning. First one is 2 Peter 3, verse 18. It's the last verse of 2 Peter. And Peter gives a final exhortation to his readers here. He says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the days of eternity. Amen. And so he tells these believers there to grow in two qualities. Number one, grace. Number two, knowledge. The grace and the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's his final exhortation to them. If you miss everything else, don't miss this. Your life is to be a growth in grace and a growth in knowledge. And notice how he couples those two things together. The grace of Jesus and the knowledge of Jesus work together. In other, in other words, we grow in grace as we grow in the knowledge of Christ. And you grow in the knowledge of Christ as you learn to commune with him every single day. Back up a little bit to 1 Peter chapter 2. Let's read verses 1 to 3. 1 Peter 2, verse 1. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. Now notice the analogy that the apostle Peter is making between a Christian and a baby. This is a newborn baby. And you moms who have had babies, you understand this. What does that baby want more than anything else in the world? He wants, he wants his milk. He want, he, he, and if he doesn't get that milk, he's going to cry and scream for it until you give it to him. He won't stop until he gets that milk. There is this voracious appetite in a newborn to feed. And his mother's milk gives him the nourishment he needs, all of the vitamins, all of the nutrients that he needs to grow into a strong and healthy baby. So that's the analogy. Christians are compared to newborn babies. And Peter says, just as that newborn baby longs for the pure milk of its mother, you as a, a child of God need to long for the pure milk of the word. Think about that word long. It's speaking about an intense desire. Just as a baby has a very healthy appetite for milk, if it doesn't, it's sick, right? If all appetite leaves a person, there's something wrong. There's sickness that's come upon that. If we have no appetite for the word of God, we're spiritually sick. And we need to go to the Lord Jesus as our doctor and ask him to heal us and give us back the appetite for the word of God. That's a healthy Christian. 
someone who has an appetite for scripture, an appetite for truth. Now, what happens as we long for the pure milk of the word? Peter says, so that by it, by the pure milk of the word, you may grow in respect to salvation. Remember, Peter says, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here he says, this is the way you do it. As you long for the word and the word makes its impact in your life day by day, you are going to find yourself growing and it's in respect to salvation. It's salvation growth. It's spiritual growth that he's talking about. And then he ends it in verse three by saying, if you've tasted the kindness of the Lord. Now that's interesting. If you've tasted the kindness of the Lord, that means that if we've experienced and tasted the Lord's saving kindness to us, and we know how sweet and how precious his kindness is to us, then we should long for the word of God so that we might taste that kindness again and again, more and more. We taste the Lord's kindness when he first saves us, don't we? But that's not the only time we taste his kindness. We taste his kindness day by day as we open up his book and he actually speaks to us. Isn't it good to know that we don't have to, remember that scripture from Philippians, forgetting the things that lie behind? It's not just that we look back on, oh, 26 years ago or 39 years ago, I remember that special time when I tasted the Lord's kindness to me, but then I've never had any experiences of his kindness since. That's, that's not the way the Christian life should be. We should have ongoing experiences of experiencing the Lord's kindness as he speaks and reveals himself to us and we see his glory as he, we open the word and the spirit of God ministers to us again and again. So if you want to taste the Lord's kindness, long for the pure milk of the word. And the thing that will keep you from longing for the pure milk of the word is verse one. It's things like malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. Sin will keep you from this book or this book will keep you from sin. That's an old saying. But sin will destroy your appetite. You will become, you'll, you'll gain an appetite for the things of the world rather than for the things of God. And so ask the Lord to help you to cultivate a greater and a more healthy appetite for Scripture. Okay. Let's look at another passage from 2 Corinthians chapter 3. It's 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18. This helps us to understand how we grow, how we grow in grace and knowledge. Paul says, but we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. Now here we learn how transformation in the Christian life takes place. To be transformed means what? To, cha to be changed. Did you know God wants you to change? If you find yourself exactly the same from year to year, something's wrong. <laughs> the Lord's will for you is that you change. And there's lots of things we need to be changed from. I, I was just thinking through this um, this morning. We, we've all got all kinds of 
areas of sins. You might call them little sins. They're not gigantic sins, like adultery, homosexuality, murder. But we still have these sins in our life that the Lord wants us to be transformed out of. Sins like maybe it's a quick temper that we have, or being impatient with others, or the fact that you can be irritable, or grouchy, or self-centered, or rude, or insulting, or gluttonous, or lazy. As Christians, we, we participate in these various sins, and we should be content to stay there. We want the Lord to root these things out of our life. So his will for us is that we be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, and, and the sins in our life are, are, are eliminated slowly as the Spirit of God identifies one after the other, and we confess it to the Lord, and he, he, he transforms us through his word. But how does that take place in our lives practically? Paul says, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. How do we behold the glory of the Lord? Can you remember anybody else in scripture who refers to a mirror? Looking into a mirror? James does, doesn't he? James chapter one. James says that the mirror is the word of God. And he says, don't just be hearers of the word, be doers. Don't be like one who looks at himself in a mirror and then goes away and doesn't do anything about his appearance. So applying, applying that here, Beholding as in the word of God, the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. Isn't that great? <laughs> from one degree of glory to the next degree of glory to the next degree of glory, our whole life is to be this transformation process going from glory to glory to glory until we see the Lord face to face. And who actually does that work in us? It says, as from the Lord, the Spirit. So thank God, the Holy Spirit lives within us, and it's his job to make this transformation process, but he does it as we behold the glory of the Lord in the mirror of the word. So the word of God is an integral and vital component of this transformation process in the life of a Christian. God speaks to us regularly, and his ordinary way then is through the word of God. Now, he may supplement that in other ways, as we've talked about previously, but the regular way, the way, the way we can count on is the word of God. So if you want to grow spiritually, if you want to commune with God, you've got to become people of the book. There is no shortcut for that. In, in the book, uh, The Heavenly Man, at 16 years of age, Brother Yoon was converted, and he, he, he didn't have a Bible. He'd never even seen a Bible. And his daily prayer for months was, Lord, please bring me a Bible. And the Lord did that supernaturally. But you see his appetite and his mm -hmm. desire for the Word of God. And that should be the same with us. We need to have that same appetite and desire. The words of Scripture must become our daily nourishment for our soul. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So that's how God speaks to us. If we're going to have communion with God, we need to be in the word so the Lord speaks to us. How do we speak to God? Well, that's simple, isn't it? It's prayer. We speak to God through prayer. 
If we're going to fulfill the highest priority of our life, we have to be men and women of prayer. We are going to need to develop our prayer life. How are you doing when it comes to your prayer life with God? I, I thought of the example of Jesus Christ here. Here we have the eternal word who became flesh, the son of the living God. And Jesus was absolutely and radically committed to a life of prayer with his father. I thought of Mark 135, where it says, I'm probably gonna to go too fast for you to look these up, but you can jot them down if you like. It's Mark 135. It says, in the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. So far before any of his disciples were awake or anybody else, Jesus was awake. And if you read the account in Mark chapter 1, the day before, he must, he must have been exhausted because he was casting out demons, he was healing the sick, he was teaching the multitudes all day long. And then the very next day, he's up early in the morning before anybody else is. He's seeking God in a secluded place in prayer. In Luke 5, 16, it says Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. That was his habit. He would often do that. In Matthew 14, we read about Jesus feeding the 5,000. After he was done with that, he sent his disciples off in a boat but he went up to the top of the mountain to seek the Lord in prayer. And it says that he didn't leave the mountain until the fourth watch of the night, which is like between three and six o'clock in the morning. So he spent the majority of the night communing with his father in prayer. So if the Holy Son of God felt this need to commune with his father in prayer, how much more do we need to commune with our father in prayer? So prayer, we, we need to develop a life of prayer. And it's easy, it can be very easy for a child of God to neglect this. It's too easy and it's sinful when we do. We also need to speak to God, not just of our requests, but in praise and in worship. And I wanna encourage you this morning to incorporate singing and worship as part of your communion with God. It's prayer is not just dumping out this laundry lists of your requests and then saying in Jesus name, amen, and going on with your life. Prayer is communion and communion is fellowship. It's relationship. And for the child of God, that means adoration and thanksgiving and praise and worship. And so I want to encourage you to spend part of your time of communion, just singing to the Lord, singing praises to him. I want to conclude our message today with some very practical application. If our highest priority as Christians is to know and commune with God, then we need to have a plan on how we're going to do that. If you have no plan, it's likely that it's not going to happen. And I think this is where many believers fail. They've never resolved. They've never committed themselves to seek God every day as the first and greatest priority of their life. They don't have spiritual discipline in this area. They know they should read their Bible. They should meditate on the truth, but they don't know where they should do that from in the scripture. So they dip a little bit here, they dip a little bit there when it is convenient, when they find they have some extra time and nothing solid in their life transforms, transpires from that. 
And so I want to help you develop a plan this morning if you don't already have one. Um, we do have a Bible reading plan for 2021. I sent out a link. I don't know if everybody got that. If you don't have that, let me know after today, after, after the sermon. And if you will text me your email address, I will share it with you so that you have access to that. And what we've done is we've taken the rest of the New Testament that we didn't read this year, which includes 2 Peter, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, Jude, Revelation, Mark, Luke, John, and Romans, and all of the Psalms, 150 Psalms. That's what we're going to be digging into in 2021. And we've broken all of that down into manageable portions. It's not so long that we don't have time to sit and think and meditate on what we've read. And so these are daily readings that we will be doing Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday and Sunday. You can choose whatever other plan you would like for those days, but this is just Monday through Friday. And what I'd like to do is to give some helpful directions to you as you learn to commune with God on a daily basis. What I'm going to share with you is not the only way to commune with God, of course. There's many ways that you can commune with God. But this is the way that, that I have been communing with God for many years and has been very helpful to me. It's very rare when I leave my time with God that I feel like the Lord did not speak to me in some way. So number one, choose a time and place where you will be able to focus without distractions. First of all, a time. Mothers with small children, this is going to be especially challenging for you. You might have to get up before your child wakes in the morning. If that's not possible, you might have to commune with God while they're taking their nap or after they've gone to sleep for at the end of the day. Uh, and, and I know this is extremely difficult. I've never had to go through this, never being a mother myself, but my wife has. And I'm sure she would tell you the same thing. It's not easy. But if it's our highest priority, then we will make it a priority and we'll seek God. So timing. Uh, for the rest of us, I would suggest that you do this the first thing of your day. I've found that if I don't, the responsibilities and the, 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 the focus of the rest of my day just begins pouring in on me. And I find it more and more difficult if I don't spend time, first thing, to do it at all. So find a time, also find a place. Find a place where you're not going to be distracted. Maybe that's a room that you can go into and shut the door. Maybe it's a literal closet. Jesus talked about your prayer closet. Some people do that. They have a closet they go to and shut the door, and they're not distracted there. I, I want to encourage you to leave your phone somewhere else. Either turn it off, put it on vibrate, leave it in another room. Or you know what? These phones that we have can be a tremendous blessing to us, but they can also be a real curse. They can distract you from God. I was thinking about this the other day. How would I feel if I were having an important discussion with my spouse and they kept looking down at their phone and texting or answering phone calls when I was trying to have a serious conversation with them? And how does God feel when we're supposed to be having communion with God and we keep looking at their phone and answering texts 
and looking at this thing that just popped up on our phone over and over. I, I don't think the Lord appreciates that. And I think it's disrespectful to him. So if your phone distracts you, get, put it in the other room, turn it off, keep it on vibrate, do whatever you need to so that you can focus in on God for that time period. And that might, it might be helpful for you not to use your phone to have devotions. <laughs> Get out a Bible, a paper Bible, because then you can leave your phone in another room and you can really focus in on God during that time. Number two, bring a journal and a pen with you as you spend time with God. If you're not doing this, I would encourage you to start. Have a pad of paper if you don't have a journal. Get something that you can write on. You're going to get much more out of your time with God if you capture the thoughts that he's sharing with you in the scripture in writing. Writing makes a man clear, it has been said. In other words, I can be thinking thoughts, but until I start to write, it doesn't become clear, crystal clear to me. And, and if you want to really hear from God, begin to write the thoughts that you're seeing from the word of God, and you're going to find it becoming clearer and clearer as to what you're seeing from the scripture. So have a journal, write the date on the top, write the scripture passage that you're reading for the day, and then be prepared to start writing down the things that you're seeing. Number three, before you begin to read, ask God to enable you to behold his glory. That's the whole purpose here. It's not to go through an exercise. It's not to say, well, I can check that box off because I've spent 30 minutes reading the Bible today. If, if you read scripture and nothing transpires between you and God, then you really haven't communed with God yet. So just start your time off and ask the Lord to make this impactful in your life. Help you, ask him to help you see his glory. Number four, read through the scriptures slowly and carefully, meditatively. You may need to read the same passage over several times. I have to do that because I'm really sleepy in the morning and I find myself yawning a lot. And I'll be honest with you, the first three hours of the day is the worst time of the day for me. I physically, I'm just, I'm really no good. But that's the time I spend time with the Lord. And so I have to read it over and over and over. Um, but as you do, read, read slowly and carefully and ask the Lord to make his word impactful. Impact your mind, impact your emotions, impact your will in a powerful way so that you can be transformed by it. Number four. Well, that is number four. Sorry about that. <laughs> oh, here, no, wait a minute. This is number four. Um, make observations of the text. So you want to observe things. You want to ask yourselves questions of the passage you're reading. Ask yourselves the who, what, when, where, and why questions, all the W's. Who is God addressing in the text? What is he asking them to do? Where are they when this takes place? When is it taking place? Why does God ask them to do what he asks them to do? And then look for repeated words or phrases. For example, if you're reading through John chapter 15, you're going to read repeated phrases. You're going to, re you're going to read things like, 
branches that's going to come up over and over. The vine will come up again and again. Fruit, abiding. And just by noticing the words that keep repeating, you will, you'll be able to zero in on the central idea of the passage. So John 15, 1 to 7. The central idea is we must abide in the vine in order to produce fruit. <laughs> that's really, to, to boil it all down, that's really what Jesus is getting at there. And you can, you can get that just by noticing the words that he keeps repeating. Notice the connecting words in the, the passage that you're reading. For example, I've been memorizing Philippians, and chapter 2 starts off with the word, therefore. A, a sentence might begin with the word, but, or for, or however. Just notice those, because all of those are telling you something. The word, but, is a word of contrast. It means whatever comes after that, is going to contrast with what came before it. So let's notice what he said before and how what he's saying now contrasts with that. It'll, it'll give you greater insight into what he's trying to say. If he starts off with the word therefore, find out what is therefore, right? Therefore means that I'm going to draw a conclusion to what I've just said. So let's see the connection. The word however, it's a, a contrast is coming. So just notice those connecting words. See if you can pinpoint the main idea or the central idea of a passage. Because then you can start to draw the peripheral ideas together and, and show how they... Spurgeon used to put it this way. He used to say that um, if you look on a map of England, London is the center and every other hamlet and village has a road that leads to London. And he says, in every text that he expounds, Christ is like London. Christ is the hub and the center. And always find the road that leads from your text back to Christ. There's always going to be a road because Jesus is the center of all of the scriptures. So look, look for the central idea of the passage and how it relates to Jesus Christ. Number five, as you're reading, see if you can put your finger on what you believe the Holy Spirit is wanting you to see that particular day, that morning. What truth is he impacting you the most from that text? What portion of the text hits home to your heart? That's probably the portion that he wants you to focus in on. He wants you to, to dwell on it, to think on it, to pray about it. He's trying to speak to you. And so let him speak to you from that portion. I like how Jerome always says, the Lord was dealing with me in Romans or the Lord was dealing with me in Leviticus or whatever. That's the idea. We want the Lord to deal with us through the word. And then number six, begin to write your thoughts in your journal. So if the Lord is impacting you, maybe you're, you're reading 12 verses but there's two of those verses that really stand out and you feel like the Lord is pinpointing that and saying, that's what I have for you today. Then spend your time really dwelling on, on that, those verses, how they relate to the whole passage and what God wants from your life. Try to make it practical. What are some practical applications you can draw from that particular portion and write them out?
Write out your thoughts, write out your ideas in your journal. Okay, here's number seven, and here's one that I really want to emphasize this morning. Take what you've written and share it with your church family in a text. Now, church family, many, many days, only one or two people text everybody else their thoughts from the scripture. I would love to see 10 or 12 of you sharing your thoughts from scripture. This is a way that you can love your brothers and sisters in Christ. We need the practical uh, glimpses that you're having, what the Lord is showing you. And so it's a way of, of you stimulating your brothers and sisters to love and good deeds as you share, this is what God is doing in me and I'm, I'm sharing it with you. That may impact somebody else within the body in a great way. I love it. I, Debbie and I are, are doing this same uh, Bible reading plan with my family in Texas. And it also includes an old friend of mine from San Jose. <laughs> and so there's like 11 people in that group or 12 people. And then our church group has like 19 people in it. So I'm, we're in two different groups. And I love it when people share their, their thoughts for the day. I read every one of them. So I want to exhort you to begin to do that. Now, I think probably the, the thing that keeps you from doing it is you feel like, gee, my, my thoughts are not as spiritual as somebody else's or they're not as good as this person. Don't, don't even worry about that. Don't even think about that. God can use the simplest of things that you share to be an encouragement to other people. I, I've, I've been really enjoying the things that Pat has been sharing with us recently as, as we've opened up, you know, and Pat may think, well, you guys know all these things already. It doesn't matter. It's coming through her personality and it's meaningful to us and it's enriching our lives. So, so take whatever it is the Lord shows you and just put it out there. Okay, that's my encouragement for you today. And then number eight, after God has spoken to you in the word, you need to speak to him in prayer and praise. The most natural thing for you to talk to the Lord about is what he's just talked to you about, right? Like if I'm talking to Debbie and I've talked to her about something, it's natural for her to respond about the thing we're engaging in. And if the Lord has just spoken to you about something in his word, instead of just telling him, Lord, I need this and I need that, and I need the other thing, start talking to the Lord about what he's just talked to you about. Let me give you an example. Let's say we're in 1 Peter. Um, Chapter 1, verse 22, and it says, Since you have an obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. And that has gripped my life that day. Fervently love brothers and sisters from the heart. So the Lord has spoken to me about that. And I realized, you know, I don't have the kind of fervent love for the brethren that I ought to have. So just confess that to the Lord in prayer. Lord, I don't have that kind of love right now. I, I confess that to you as sin. It's not right that I wouldn't have that kind of love. Lord, would you put that love in me? Would you love me or love people through me, Lord? Would the Holy Spirit just flow through my life? Lord, thank you for loving me when I was unlovely. And you can just kind of cause this thing to snowball. But it all relates to what the Lord has shown you that day. 
So petition can flow out of it and praise can also flow out of that. So speak to the Lord about the things that he's spoken to you about. And of course, you can speak to him about other things as well, but make your time in the word uh, the springboard for communion with God. I like to do this by just taking a walk. Um, I, can, I can have a great time in the word just in my, my, the kitchen there, but when I want to talk to the Lord, unless it's too cold, which it is right now, but I usually I, I like to just take a walk around the neighborhood. I, I can talk out loud. I can sing while I'm walking. Um, so find a way that you can do that with the Lord, the way that is most conducive for you in your spiritual life. And then I'd say number nine, later sometime that day, revisit the thing that the Lord spoke to your heart that morning. Meditate on the scripture passage. Revisit the thoughts that the Lord gave you for the day so that you're not just hearing, but you're also becoming a doer of the word. And this way, as we put into practice these basically very simple, practical guidelines, um, as, we, as we do that, the Lord's going to speak to you. You're going to speak to him. You're going to experience communion with God. He's going to communicate himself to you. You'll communicate your needs, desires, and praises to him. Your relationship is going to be enriched and developed day by day. And I think that's how we can make the most of this coming year. So press on in your knowledge of the Lord. Seek him with all your heart. When you take up this challenge, seek to hold daily communion with your Lord in the year 2021 as the highest priority of your life. Let's pray. Father, we do ask for your help, for your grace, Lord, that when other things begin to crowd in our life, we, we would have the discipline to put them aside and to say, that's not my highest priority right now. That'll come. I'll get to that later, but that's not what the Lord wants from me at this time. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us to enrich our relationship with you, that we would find joy and delight in hearing you speak to our hearts and seeing you transform our lives from one degree of glory to the next, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. Do this work in us, Lord. May 2021 be an awesome year when we actually see transformation taking place in our life. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.